You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Whoop. Check. Start my video. Check. Yeah. John Glazer joining the show. Coming in hot. We're not even bothering with an introduction. That was the start of the show. John Glazer wearing a cap. <laughs> Detroit. What is that? Should be Pistons. Very bad boys. Oh, okay. Pistons. That's Pistons. So those who are not getting the video, he's wearing kind of hipster glasses. I didn't see that coming. Come on. They're just reading glasses. Fucking muscle t-shirt. What's going on with that? Chewing gum. <laughs> Got big ass headphones. And my dog. And his dog. He's a great dog. He's a first of all, he's a good boy. He's a very good boy. His name's Gatsby. We did not name him. Let me get rid of my gum. That's unprofessional. That was unprofessional. Um, the dog Gatsby picking the story back up where uh, he believes it was a COVID adoption and they got tired of it and John says, I'll take him. Yeah, I think they have, they have three little kids under the age of five. Uh, I think they got a COVID dog who's too much with the, the children. So they put him back up for, they got him from a shelter and then we got him. So we missed, didn't deal, have to deal with any of the like paperwork and shelters and waiting. We were going to get a rescue anyway. It just worked out great for us. And he is a sweet boy. He's going to be two next month. He's like a boxer slash pit brindle, 35 pounds, like great size. Oh, he's so cute. Would he have been a role player with the bad boy Detroit Pistons? Like, do you see him in a Joe Dumars? Uh, where, do you, where do you see him? I would have said he's like more of um, if I had to pick him, like who does he be on the bad boys? Maybe like a, probably coming off the bench. You know, it could have maybe he's a maybe Vinnie Johnson type. The microwave. You know, the microwave. You know why they call him the microwave, what, right? Because instant offense. He heats up in a hurry. Well, same thing. We just said it yeah. in different ways. He played for the Seattle Supersonics. You might remember. Heats up that. in a hurry, I think, is a more fun. He heats up in a hurry. Um, one point on this show that we're doing right now is, for those who didn't catch the top, or I just said his name fast, we're talking to John Glazer. This is called a reset in the TV business. John Glazer. His <laughs> credits are so voluminous. I, I'm going to ask you if somebody said, and I, you, you're you very humble. You just kind of do your thing. You don't talk about it so much. Not like me where I send you every latest bit I do. <laughs> but I want to send it to my friends. Like, I'm proud of this little thing I just did. I'm hey, glad you do a, send them all. I don't send them all. I send some of them some. to some people. Well, but, I mean, all of the ones you send is what oh. I meant by all. Not John Glazer, bit. who adopted a dog that had been adopted by another family. No judgment to that family. Like, I hope you give the little kids visitation. Hey, man, remember your dog? He's right over here now if you want to come. and Absolutely not. Pony rides. No, absolutely not. They And they live. Come we, on. 
I don't want him to be confused. Like, wait a minute. Okay. These are the children. I okay. now when I'm with this family. What's okay. I'll give you that. Absolutely not. How about and also I'll judge. I'm going to judge. Field. What about an open field playground park? And they happen to be there on the swings. If they happen to be there, it's happened once. It's happened once where we were out and there was a lady. I'd never met the family. I was out of town when we got the dog. This is like a Larry David episode. And uh, so, and then, you know, and my wife said the dad did get emotional at the handoff. So I think it caught them off guard. They made a very difficult decision. In my opinion, the wrong, like you adopt a dog, that's your dog. You, you have three kids, you need bigger space, find an apartment that take, takes a dog. I understand things happen. But anyway, so it happened once where it's like, and it was weird because this lady, I don't know if it was the mom or maybe a nanny, she's like, can, can we pet your dog? I'm like, yeah, sure. And then she's like, I think this used to be our dog. Oh boy. Maybe just say that first. Don't just yeah. come over like, hey, mind if we pet your dog? Like, it's just no big deal. Like, you're just a stranger. Do you have other, do you have other beef with this family? Are there any parking issues or noise ordinance issues or just how far away from where you are? Are they, I mean, are they quite I don't far or do you see no, them daily? I don't, that's the only encounter that I've had in the year we've had them. They moved further. I don't know where they are now. What if we if brought them right now? Or they, brought them onto this conversation and we just everybody just get real and just say what you got to say i would um i would i can't say that i'd be happy about that but i would i'd lean into it mm -hmm. i'd lead into it for those who love john glazer this is a fascinating conversation about dogs life judgments uh philosophy those who don't and and you should he's been on everything so what the question i was starting to form if, if you, as a pretty humble guy that doesn't brag about the stuff he's done, you're in a conversation, so what do you do for a living? And you, oh, I'm an actor. Oh, really? What are you working on? You say something, you know, I got a project. What have you been in? Where would I know you from? What would be like your top three to five? I feel like most people know me from Parks and Rec as Councilman Jam, maybe Girls. Conan. Conan, certainly. Um, it runs the gamut. Kenny, I've done so many things that it's true. <laughs> Someone of your talent level and the number of credits and the associations you have with different people. You and I have talked never works out, but we're always, yeah, hey, I hope this thing happens one time. How come you can't just call Conan and say, hey, man, remember when I was really funny with you and you got a lot of power? Can just stick your name on this thing. I want to do that. And we're ready to shoot on Monday. I don't know. That's a great question. I wish it did. Maybe it works that easy for some. Uh, I don't know, man. Sometimes, you know, I don't live in LA. That's probably one strike against me. And, but you know, that's just how things worked out. I just ended up, I wanted to stay in New York as long as I could. And then ended up making a bunch of shows and got really lucky with that. And then flew back and forth for parks and rec. But, you know, by the time it was, really thinking about LA, my kids were just old enough where it felt like, oh, that's not, I don't want to uproot everybody. I'll just fly as need be for work. And then COVID, I don't know, who knows, man. I'm not acting like you're in a dire situation. You're doing, you've done a bunch of really good things and I'm sure you're going to do many, many more. It's you've carved out and you said, maybe it just happened like this little kind of indie way to do it. Like, I mean, I'm staying out in Brooklyn I'll fly when I need to. You guys come to me. There's a lot enough. There's enough <laughs> stuff happening in New York that I can create that I didn't need to. 
I assume that was altogether. Those were the reasons why you ended up pulling it off the way you have. It's yeah. It's basically yeah. I, I got lucky in certain ways with just you know the the sh- I did you know Adult Swim stuff, um, the Delocated show, and that le- ran for a little bit. And over the course of like five years, and but you know it's just still like it's 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 so hard to say. I mean, there's so many variables and factors that go into how shows get made, and it's such a bizarre thing. And but whatever, man, no complaints. Yeah. I mean, you're paying taxes. You have a new dog. You have a family. You have a place. You eat every day, right? You're, you're getting by. Um, yeah, I'm not going to say. I don't like when actors complain. And also, it's just whatever. Who wants to hear that anyway? It's like yeah. do people on Twitter want to hear about your problem with Flight 167 on American. No, nobody. No, it really it really bums me out. I was giving a friend some shit who was, you, could, you don't care if people swear on this, right? Fuck this is no. A, I love it. Uh, anyway, yeah, I was, someone was a, a guy that I'm friends with was posting on Instagram, like was out in, uh, Montauk and at some party and it started raining and he's making a video of like, it's this big catered thing. And like, everyone's trying to scramble to get inside and he's filming. He's not helping. He's filming. So I gave him shit for that. And then he starts offering up all these excuses and it was just, I'm like, whatever, Put your phone down and help. And also, why are you recording and then posting a thing of you not helping? Noted. Self-own, they call that in the trade. Yeah, that was a, that that was kind of related to what you were saying, but now I don't remember how. <laughs> it doesn't matter because you mentioned delocated. Now, for those who don't know, and I'll get to the setup you thought I was going to start with because I've done it. For all three others, uh, we're interviewing the big four of Main Street. Uh, John Glazer, last in line. No offense, it just worked out that way. All right. So delocated is, I think, the thing you did next after working with me and the guys at ESPN way back when. Maybe one of the next things for sure. And it was a guy who was in witness protection who then wore a essentially a ski robber's mask everywhere to further mask his identity. Yet, obviously, that would be bringing attention um, that was fun. That was silly and fun. And it felt like all you it felt like you ran whatever the fuck happened. It seemed like it came out of your mind. Yeah, that was a very good time. That was, yeah, that was a show that I, I had actually done that character, a version of that character, uh, on Conan. And it was before I got hired on Conan, I lived in LA for a year and it was, I had this really stupid idea for a character that was in the witness protection program, but he was an impressionist. And he just loved performing and he wanted to, he wanted to continue performing. So he put the ski mask on, he garbled his voice like on the news and he did really shitty hacky impressions and they just all sounded like that voice. And so that was the initial joke. And then I just liked the smugness of the character. And so it became the bigger story of delocated minus that stupid joke, but it was, yeah. That was for adult swim. Adult tell, swim. Tell me about the pitch meeting. You, didn't you have to go into a room or did your agent do it? Like, how did you say, well, here's how it's going to be. You know, I actually pitched it to comedy central first and I put the mask on. I had a voice modulator that I plugged into an amp. So I was actually talking to them as the character and they passed. And I'll say, thankfully in hindsight, cause it was a much better fit at an adult swim. And then with adult swim, you know, I'm trying to remember, I, I didn't do uh, anything like that, but I, they liked the idea. And then I ended up making a demo kind of on my own. 
so they could see the character and hear the character. And I just kind of cobbled that together over a few months. Like I was playing in an adult beginners ice hockey league at the time. And we would play up at Central Park. There was there's two swimming pools up at the top of the park for the summertime. And in winter, they cover them and they make them ice rinks. For one of the shots, like I just threw the ski mask on and skated on for warm-ups. And my buddy filmed that. And then we just cobbled together various shots like that so the adult swim could see the character and hear it anyway. I admire your your effort and originality. You did something different. You know, most people are gonna send their agent or have a meeting and be all buttoned up. You're like, fuck it, here it is. It took me like three minutes of no effort and you can get why it's funny. It's a little, it's not that simple. Like I, my agent's certainly involved and it definitely was a lot of effort to make the demo. Uh, but that was essentially kind of, rather than turning in an idea and hoping for the best, I decided to be a little more proactive and like, let me just give them a taste of, I hate when people say a taste. Let me give them a little snippet or sample of, you really need to hear how this character sounds and what he looks like to get that. You, you can't really get it on the page, even though it says he's a smug asshole. And then I for sure know that that demo helped sell the idea. You, they need to see it sometimes. It's funny how people in charge of what's supposed to be funny aren't always funny, but they get to judge if somebody else presents them what is funny. And it's only necessarily going to be funny to some people and not others, right? Right. The funniest thing ever might sit dead in front of the wrong three people at the meeting. It could happen. That's just the way it goes. It's a really frustrating, weird way to make a living. You know, you're just beholden to, yeah, someone's opinion. And really with Delocated, it was probably just good timing where they were, you know, new people had come in there. They were trying to do some live action stuff. You just have to kind of a lot of times get lucky. There's a lot of factors that going to this, uh, even getting a show made, it seems next to impossible. Well, something else I loved was your John Glazer loves gear. And you did a couple few seasons, didn't we you? Did, like, yeah, two seasons of that one. And that was very relevant because, you know, with all the gadgets people buy, we have to sign up for different apps and this and that. And, and you just said, I'm going to embrace this consumerism. I mean, is that close? I know, like it was really a, a real more of a reality based show where I just thought I'll go visit like my favorite companies and check out their new products and try them. And then we'll come up with comedy stuff as a secondary idea. And then it just became more and more scripted as we kept developing the idea. And then it was sort of, yeah, talking about that and commenting on that, but really at its, at its core, its essence, it was still like, yeah, I just, like shit and it's fun to talk about it and then but the scripted version became much more interesting and much more enjoyable but when you did the original was every last product introduced a product place were you guys getting money for holding up the toaster or whatever it does you're no we actually had to be really careful about not showing favoritism oh. to products and you know ip issues they call that I don't even, what does that stand for? In, intellectual property issue. Like oh. like if I were doing a commercial for Olipop, free shout out, Olipop, I've done a <laughs> commercial work for them. Um, that's earned media. If I were doing something for Olipop, in the middle of it, I can't say, man, I wish Michael Jordan were here to taste that. You know, you can't, right? You can't do that. That's illegal because you got to pay them to say their name. So you had these products you're holding or using or wearing. You had to mask their identity almost a throwback to Delocated, 
No, we didn't have to mask their identity. We were very open and transparent with people when we would ask like, hey, are you willing to send us some stuff? It's for this show. This is the premise. And, you know, we had, it was all depending on what the storylines were for each episode, you know, because in my mind, it's like, all right, let's do a scene with a flat screen TV and a flat screen TV and then I can keep it. And it just had to, we had to make sure it was for the episode, for the show. A lot of stuff ended up being sent back. I got to keep a fair amount of stuff, which was pretty sweet. But uh, my memory was you'd say, I'm holding the blankety blank. You'd say, wouldn't you call it by its name? Yeah, we still talked about what the products were. We'd ID them because that was still the premise was a guy that's got a show about gear and the stories would take all these weird tangents and we'd follow those storylines. But there were still the moments of presenting the gear, talking about it, IDing it. Um, and we would tell people that we would ask, like, this is the basic premise. These are the storylines. And most people would be OK with it. But. Some people wouldn't. And we did have to be very careful not to make the product look like that was the butt of the joke. It was all secondary to the to the comedy. And then it just became part of the premise. And then we would take the leaps off and the right turns and all that shit. For the record, we still have not introduced formally John Glazer, our guest this time on Hey Main, Kenny Main Talks to Famous People podcast, brought to you by several sponsors. I'll pause now in case they'd like to play one of them. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I thought of something for you, two pitches for you. I don't know what you're doing right now. You'll, we'll answer that in a minute. Sure. So I was driving here. I, I live in West Hartford, driving down to downtown Hartford where I got the studio to, to work in. And the road I was just on, and I might have told part of the story on another episode, and I don't care. Um, I was putting gas in my car this last October and wasn't late, but I was. Is the gas tank on top of your car? No, but my wallet would soon. Because you were reaching up I at know, the top. You I gestured know, for those who were not watching. You're like, I put gas yeah. in my car. Yeah, gas up there would be, that'd be like a uh, airplane reload up in the sky, like, mm-hmm. like, like a, the big tank thing, tanker plane. So no, I was coming here to the studio to tape something and I needed gas. So I put gas in the car. For some reason, after sliding my credit card through or putting it in and out, I put my wallet on top of my car because mm. I knew after the gas was done, I'd grab it and put it in the car again or something. And so I finished the gas, get in the car. I'm about halfway down. Oh four, shit. Four and a half miles. And it hit me. You know how your brain works where you're like, Uh-oh. Oh yeah. I remember when I had that wall in the car. Oh, Pull over. God. The car, the wall's not in the car. And now I'm two minutes. I'm now I'm kind of late, not late, but I'm not early. So I decide I'm going to go to the studio because this is important, this thing I was supposed to tape. And I called the gas station. Can you look out by pump number, whatever that is, right by the thing? And she said, I can do better than that. I'll look at the film. I don't see any wallet. And she looks at her videotape. Yeah, there was something on your car as you took a right out of the parking lot. Let me go try to help. I start doing my audio. The whole time I'm pissed. 
I'm not. I'm, I'm supposed to be doing jokes here, and I'm just so angry at myself. In that wallet, I have like seven hundred dollars. Yeah, I have a winning ticket to the Green Bay Packers. I was just in Las Vegas, and I hadn't cashed it. I just knew I'd go back and I'd cash it next time. I had my Vax card back when those mattered. I had <laughs> credit cards, everything, right? Oh my god! So she calls back, says I tried. I just don't see anything. So I thank her. I'm so mad. Gretchen, my wife and I, after I was done with the audio, a little like three o'clock in the afternoon. Now, we decide, let's get lucky. Let's walk along that road, see if the wallet fell off. Right? Yep. We don't find it. However. We bump into our house painter. We were redoing our kitchen, the guy that was doing the painting. Just million to one, we happened to be standing in front of his house at that moment looking for my wallet. We tell him the story. He says, let me help. He jumps in his truck. He comes back seven minutes later holding the wallet in the air, big smile. We can't believe this just happened. How did this happen, right? The money's gone. The Green Bay Packers ticket's gone. My bank card's gone. But the wallet, the Vax cards, the credit cards, the license, the good stuff that I needed comes back, right? And Gretchen and I thank him, and we, I want to reward him. He won't take a reward. We drive up to where he said he found it. She finds the Green Bay Packers winning ticket just floating in the grass. We now think we're going to find $100 bills. You know, I just come back from Vegas. Yeah. And she's got the bank card. We got everything but the money. And so then... It becomes a question of, A, just so thankful, right? I mean, all that stuff I would have had to do, canceling the cards and getting a new license and the Vax cards, all of it. I got it all back. I didn't care about the money. I hope somebody had a good day with the money. I really do. For sure. I have had this idea, and it hit me really hard coming because I'm meeting you, and I'm sorry. The story took so long, but there's a lot there. No. I want to make a short film. You could be the guy that finds it. We could replace the painter. You could play the painter role. Like there, I think there's a beautiful story. It's funny, and it's kind of poignant at the same time. The luck involved, right? Are you in? Yeah, I'm just confused. So who am I? I find the money. You play Guess yourself. What? Guess what? You can play whatever you want. <laughs> Blue sky. You know what that reminds me of? It's different. You could be the guy that found the wallet, stole the money, and threw it out the window. You could be that guy. Just like found the money. Yeah, there could be a cool short film there. I really think there is. But is you're saying it's about the person that finds the money? I don't know. I just gave you the facts, the reality <laughs> of it. That's like saying how they make Apocalypse Now. There's a terrible war and no. they got to make a movie. That's all that. That's how that happened. <laughs> okay, the other one? I might have forgotten the other idea already. It was really good, too. John Glazer joins us. He's the fourth... Of the big four. You know how there's basketball teams? They talk about the big three, right? Usually it's the big three. In this case, it was the big four. This is, I think, 2005, six, somewhere like that. A couple years, seven. Maybe it was six and seven. I don't remember. And John Glazer played in this little show at ESPN we called Main Street. And we had other amazing people. All of them went on to great success. They left me behind. And arguably... I think John had done a little more nationally, but most of the others were younger and had done a little of this, a little of that, Upright Citizens. You were Second City, right, um, out of Michigan. And, um, I mean, you were coming from Michigan. And John played the role of Video Cowboy, which was born in reality when I was a freelancer for ESPN. I went down to cover Tanya Harding, 
the whole Tanya Harding scandal down in Portland. I was up in Seattle, and I was late to the to party. The ESPN called me after the whole West Coast. Every cameraman is booked. Everybody's there in Portland because of all this shit that's going on. You know, where they went after uh, Kerrigan, Nancy Kerrigan. Yeah. So I had a cameraman named Video Cowboy on the side of his car. It said Video Cowboy. He was a guy still using what was called three-quarter inch tape. Everybody else had moved to the digi beta stuff. And he chased ambulances for a living. Nice guy. Super nice guy. He passed away. Uh, God rest. We tried to remunerate him or his family. And it just never like, hey, we're kind of using that name. And ESPN's attorneys, whoever tried, and, and it didn't work out to reach him, unfortunately. But John played that role. So we had Aubrey Plaza, Allison Becker, Ben Schwartz, a whole bunch of other good ones. Chris Smith, Lenny Jacobson, Mulaney was in one. Um, and we did this silly little show about my times at ESPN. We obviously exaggerated certain things. And I still remember, I think you remember most people, the three or four or five times you laughed the hardest in your life. Like watching Dana Carvey live is one of them. Uh, something Gret with Gretchen's one of them. John Glazer was involved in my top three to five. I said something, what they say, for the room. It was never for air. It was off color. It was just to make the room laugh, right? It was outdoors, actually. And your response, it wasn't so much what you said, it was how you said it, which is true of a good comic, right? You just said, so which one are we going to do? The pros, they know when to lay back. They know when to step in. Like, even right now, I'm like, I could start peppering what you're saying with a lot of like, uh-huh. Yeah, right. But I'm like, no, I'm just going to let him go. So you went from Main Street, a critically acclaimed miniseries on ESPN.com. Main Street was such a good time. It was ahead Main of its Street, time. You know, there's still things that I've done that I don't like, whatever. Whenever I have to make a bio for something, I always include Main Street just because I want that to be a part of it. And people are like, what's that? If they don't know it. That's appreciated. It was a very, very, very enjoyable time. And for me, I was just like, I was a fan already of yours. And just for me, like ESPN and I like sports and that was a cool thing. And it was, but, uh, yeah, it was really fun. Allison Becker. Allison She's Becker, hilarious. Who, she was great. And she said, I see what you're doing. You're having all of us back so it can kind of put it out in the universe and potentially get to redo that show in some fashion. And I said, yes. I mean, I think it's subconscious, but I, I made a list of here's the famous people I know pretty well, and I think most of them will say yes over time, maybe not right away. You were on that list, and then there was the list of the I've never met them, but I sure would love to have them as a guest list. I think we don't have any of them yet. We're still working on them. But I love the people I do have because, A, they're all talented. They've all done good things. They're interesting. They have a following I like them. We're fr- you know, like, why wouldn't I want to talk to friends? Like, that's kind of a fun way to do it. Yeah. So how is this a is this a brand new podcast then? God damn you! This podcast began July first, I believe. So yeah, it's brand new in that sense. I mean, in the in glacial time, it's very new. Yeah. But in American time, it's old news. It's been out since early July. Okay. July. I don't listen to I don't listen to podcasts. I'm pretty. I'm pretty not up on all that shit. Okay. I remembered my other idea for you. Let's I'm going to sell you on my podcast. I I won't listen back very often because I already did it. I already know what happened. I don't know how they edited it. And I know that's, you know, probably insulting to Paul, the producer. Like, what? You, seriously, you don't listen? I mean, I listen to some, but I'm busy doing other stuff. I'm busy making the next thing to go back and listen to the last thing. 
I never used to look at myself after shows. Let me look at myself and see. I mean, I know you're supposed to, and that's wise. Like, did you do this weird inflection? Did you pause correct? You know, I don't know. I think it's different in TV versus this. Um, I'm going to name a few guests. One of them I think you should work with for sure. Which of these podcasts would you have listened to if you had the opportunity? Ready? Yep. Bill Walton. Mm. Christopher Guest. Ooh. Or Sarah Kenzior. God, uh, I, I apologize. I don't know who the last person is. She's the author of a new book called They Knew. Uh, if we want to get political for a while, we can go down that road. I wasn't going to do that with you. It's just I was going to ask a tangential question about everything. But sure. She's great. She has her own po- podcast called Gaslit Nation. Mm. It looks at the corrupt things happening in America and the world. Bill Walton, you've heard of. Sure. For guests, you've heard of. Probably I'm going to go with Bill Walton. I want to hear stories. He, oh, he told stories. He, In fact, I had to use the restroom. Wait, you're saying they've all been on your show? Yeah. You've talked those to all those. three of those people. Those ran already. I had to go to the bathroom, and I said, Bill, do whatever you want. I got to the bathroom. I'm walking out. He wouldn't stop talking. I'm walking out. I take my headphones off. He keeps talking while I'm not there, and he tells this fantastical story of the eruption of Mount St. Helens and how he and some others commandeered a government airplane that was at a small airport near Portland telling them that they are government scientists, uh, insurance experts, and they need to fly over the volcano now. And And he said, we waved papers, which happened to be my hotel bill i was just like waving anything at these people and he and there's such uh, detail to the story wow. i don't think he's making it up i think it happened wow that's something that's, you can look forward to when you download that is, the odyssey app <laughs> tell me about the odyssey app tell me you know how you can listen app. to my podcast uh i don't but tell me just download the odyssey app or get this podcast hey main wherever you get your podcasts Got it. That's what I've been told to say every time. Has this been, while opportunistic, you know, everybody has a Trump impression or makes fun of some ridiculous thing. At the same time, though, this is the darkest five years I remember ever. So isn't it weird doing any comedy sometimes during, right? Like, sometimes you're like, fuck. I guess that's how I, that's my job. I just made jokes, but look at the rest of everything happening. For sure. That's how I feel constantly. You know, even with Instagram and social media, just, I don't give a shit like to post stuff unless I have something to promote. And then I may be a little more, you know, aggressive and how many times I'm, I, I just can't go on and post to post shit and make like, like even that was something where I was giving my friend shit, like, the world is fucking awful. There's these, I'm seeing like these crazy fucking floods and, you know, in Pakistan. And then I scroll and there's my buddy just, you know, not helping in a rainstorm and posting, like literally filming it and then posting it. And it's just, who gives a shit? The absurdity of all of it together. I, I say that all the time. We were in Las Vegas. I'm doing stuff for Caesars. So I'm there pretty often. And we were like playing the dumbest video we we're just kind of wasting time we we're gonna to go to dinner i don't know we we're wasting time playing caveman kino which you pick your kino numbers everyone knows how to play kino there's 80 numbers you pick up to 10 and you hope to hit a bunch and 
I think I just said it out loud. I said, do you think this is what God intended? <laughs> playing caveman Kino at Caesars having a mezcal. Like, is that? There's so many absurd things happening all at once. And like you said, all the scary real things. It's a, uh, what do they say? It's, what a time to be alive. Well, you know, here's a couple stories that makes me think of. One is um, when, when I, I was working at Conan on 9-11. And I, you know, have vivid memories of all that. Like I was actually... I was go. I had one of my first cell phones, like this one of these Nokia cell phones, and sure. I was going to the dry cleaner to pick up my shirt because we were going to go to the Emmys that weekend. And I'm walking home from the dry cleaner. I was living on the Upper West Side at the time, and I get a phone call from my dad. He's just flipping out. Oh my God, they're flying planes in the buildings. Are you okay? I'm like, Dad, just calm down. Like for me, I'm like, my dad. He's yeah. annoying. He's seeing something on the news and he's freaking out. Just like, relax, Dad. I get home, I turn the TV on, blah, blah, blah. It's like, holy shit. And we went back to Conan after about a week. And I was really conflicted. I'm like, why are we here? What's the rush to get back here and start doing dumb sketches? And we had this guy on our show was a former uh, firefighter. And he busted up his knee and he couldn't do that anymore. And he got into acting and he was not a good actor. But a great guy, like he had a big, thick mustache and was a real New York guy. And we'd use him as a cop all the time. Yeah. And, you know, part of the joy was that he was a terrible actor. And it was just like, you better stop right now. Like just <laughs> and, and a really great guy. And we all just got to, we used him a ton. Chris Edwards is his name. And um, so we kind of got to know him pretty, you know, fairly well enough that you can know, like someone that you use a bunch. And so. He came by like it's, it's after 9-11. It's probably, I don't know, a week or so after he comes by like, you know, 30 Rock. If you don't know the geography of Manhattan, uh, 30 Rock, 30 Rockefeller were the SNL and the NBC, basically that the building. Christmas it's not far tree. from Chris, the big skating Christmas rink, tree, all that the yep. skating rink. It's very close to, I think, is it St. Paul's Cathedral? Yep. Yep. And so he was going there every now and then for firefighter funerals. And so one day he comes by with one of his uh, buddies and he just wanted to address the whole staff. And so everybody is in like the main, like conference room area, everybody. And he says, he just addresses the whole staff. He's like, listen, you know, we're going down there, the ground zero every day. It's just a nightmare of just sifting through rubble, finding bodies and, all we do every night is go back to the firehouse and we put on your show and we forget about everything for an hour and we tune out and we laugh and have a good time. And that made me feel really just a lot better about going to work. And yeah. obviously not that we're doing, you know, the Lord's work, but the comedy, especially now, or really at all times, but. It, it serves a purpose and it is. And listen, I can't do it. Like I can't go on Instagram. Like here's a cute, whatever, like a funny, whatever. I just can't do it right now. It just feels meaningless. But I, at the same time, I really appreciate all the diversionary things in my feed, like that. I don't have to think about all this bullshit. So, you know, it's, it's, I don't necessarily fault anybody for constantly posting dumb comedy shit right now. I just have a tough time doing it personally, Understood. but I also I feel like, Maybe I, whatever, I just can't. It just seems no, so stupid right now. Everybody can look at that from whatever perspective they want, but your original main point 
that this guy that was deeply involved in the aftermath of it knew friends. And he said, no, you guys are actually, this is really cool what you're doing. Like, you may think it's absurd and like, what in the hell? Why, I sh we should just take a month off and come back. But whenever was there going to be a good time to, you know, the day you came back was going to be the day you came back. So whether you did a week later or a month later. Yeah, it, it definitely helped. And I, I do think about that story quite a bit, even in the last few years of this you know what feels true i don't know everything just feels worse to me and maybe it's just relative it maybe is. it's perspective no i think it's it is worse. man it's actually worse and so i don't know i always think about the this this line from psycho killer the talking head song it's like you know when i have nothing to say my lips are sealed <laughs> that's how i feel it's like i don't i'm not i'm not just gonna like barf out like constantly yeah. posting shit every day several times a day like a lot i don't get it it's strange to me it's strange like if you're promoting like when i have something to promote i definitely will go oh, you're on talking there. about don't show the montauk wedding video you're saying that's stupid shit i got you people that are just posting stuff to post stuff how about my wife seeing some bears on the trail i posted that i said snow white out for her walk she thinks she cool, can communicate though. with these bears that's gretchen back she did do the right thing she backed away we have bears they come to our yard we have to put the garbage cans in the garage like there we live next to the woods i just remembered the other thing besides the short film we're about to make on the lost wallet <laughs> you maybe you've done this bit i just i thought of a couple things like i'd love to throw him i like i hope they work i hope you just go make millions of dollars you doing corporate videos but you really do do it. Let's pretend it's a copy machine or whatever, you know. And this video is going to be shown to their suppliers and their middlemen and so forth. And you, you play it straight, yet the comedy's so under the radar they don't even know you're being funny while you're mocking what you're doing. I could see you pull that off. I like that. I've had this idea for a long time, and I'm not sure how it would get done. It would have to be a lot of friends involved. Like, I want to just make, I want to be the actor in like an aspirin commercial. And it's not comedy, but it's just because it's not comedy, it's comedy. Like people oh, yeah. are watching their TV and it's like, what the fuck is this? Like, and it's just a straight dramatic, like, you know, when I've got a bad headache, I reach for Tylenol and it's just, there's no joke to it. And then the commercial's done and you'd I have to that. have like the product, the people, the who's going to yeah. direct it. And Disclaimers. That to me would be <laughs> so you. It would be such a good exercise for you because it's all nonverbal, which is part of, right, that your expression after a take is can be as funny as the line, right? Somebody's reaction to something. So you'd be doing that in that form. Um, I mentioned Second City, but only very, very briefly. Tell me about that whole experience because you heard about so many of the upright citizens people. I've worked with a ton of them for back in the NFL stories I used to do at ESPN. We would call Nate Schelke. And he'd say, oh, I can get you four guys tomorrow at Central Park, 100 bucks each. And they'd perform for me for that little, I needed 19 seconds of something of these guys, whatever they were. One time they did a protest at the United Nations to get back uh, Robert Kraft's Super Bowl ring that was stolen by uh, Vladimir Putin in real life. That really happened. Uh, I remember and that. they did a protest at the UN <laughs> yelling, Tom Brady enjoys buttered toast. And then the guy's lying <laughs> after. Uh, I'm not sure if we conveyed everything uh, we were trying to say there. It was just a slogan, you know. Second City, what was it about? How did you get in? How long did you stay? What did you learn? I mean, Second City was great. It was, uh, I was probably there for three years, and that includes like touring company, 
understudying people. And then my, I did one main stage show uh, and it, I had a really great experience um, overall. Got to do one main stage show with some really great people. I mean, I mean, I just want to go back to like Upright Citizens Brigade, like, you know, because in Chicago, which is where second, the, I did Second City in Chicago. There's also one in Toronto. I think it's still there. And, you know, all John the candy. What's that? John Candy. Right. I mean, like, you know, S, yeah, yeah, SCTV, all the those legends and, you know, the UCB people really came from there was a place called Improv Olympic, which was uh, this woman, Sharna Halpern, and this legendary improviser named Del Close. I'm sure you, I'm guessing you've heard his name, maybe. Maybe. Del Close. He was a legendary. He did Second City. He was part of the Compass Players. Real just like political weirdo, okay. super smart. And he and Sharna started this place where they did more long form improv. And that's where the UCB came from was gotcha. more that style improv as opposed to like the lights up, lights down cabaret style yeah. review of the second city, you know, which is still great. It's just different. And I love both, but you know, the UCB once, yeah, you, it was just people were game for whatever, but it was great. Cause like Aubrey Plaza was saying, I'm going to NYU while I'm, it's like an internship at a comedy place. Like I'm learning how to do this thing I want to do while I'm taking regular. I mean, what a, what a great setup for those who got a chance to do it. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, just the fact that they became so huge and that's just having, you know, they were just smart to know to do that. I think maybe Matt Besser was the guy that kind of drove all those. I'm not sure. I don't know how they decided to do like their classes and having, you know, opening their theaters and they just capitalized on what, you know, when they had their show and it just became this huge thing. I mean, you know, th th there was SNL after after parties were always at UCB for a few years just because all these Chicago people were involved there. And, you know, there was this stretch where it was just tons of people were it just became bigger, whatever it was. Uh, were you getting paid on the Second City thing or did you do you guys split tips or something? I mean, or did you have a restaurant <laughs> job or some other job to support yourself? Well, when I was doing touring company, I was working. I was a host at a restaurant. Oh, big time. Yeah. And uh, I had that a couple of fun. This, here's a story you'll like. You know, I, I was all, I was always into sports. There's a there's a few people. It was I met Jeff Hostetler's either parents sure. or like an uncle. Because every now and then you get like, yeah, it's about five, ten minutes. Can I take a last name? Hostetler. <laughs> I'm like, like Jeff Hostetler. One guy comes up. I was I felt terrible. Comes up, uh, you know, I give him the thing, five, 10 minutes, guy can name Bando. And I was like, oh, you're related to uh, Sal Bando? And he just looks at me. He's like, I am Sal Bando. Ooh. And I look up and I think I was probably like writing his name down, not paying attention. I look up and I realized, oh, it's, and I felt bad. I, I think he must have thought I was fucking with him. But uh, for those he who didn't, don't know, a former Major League Baseball player, Oakland Athletics. Oakland A's, right? But he did not have a look on his face like, I'm the guy. He seemed offended. And then I thought, what a dick. Anyway, maybe he's a great guy. I don't know so if he's alive. So did the Hosteller family get expedited seating? I can't remember if I got him in quick, but there was some friendly chit chat and they seemed real nice. And I love, this just makes me think, what if that, what if they were lying? Just saying, just, what if they just thought, you know what? What's the perfect name we could say that people would believe were related to him? How about, like, good. you can't say I'm... Yeah, I'm related to Phil Sims. Nope, Jeff Hostetler. Now there's a short film. The Hostetlers. That's a great title. 
That's oh, that's a great title, and it all evolves around the host at restaurant uh, genre. The, all the different hosts you run across. I I did work uh, a restaurant job when I was doing the touring company, and then you know certainly before. And when I did get hired on the main stage, that was full time. That was an actor's equity job, sure. And it was enough money. I had dirt cheap rent in Chicago, so it basically covered my rent and. You know, for the most part, I would even when I was touring, I still had that job. I'd save all my per diem money and go buy CDs. Sure. So you went from this is after Michigan, after college. I graduated college. I moved right to Chicago. I had a pretty incredible. If you have time for this story, I, this is a, this is we a pretty good all one. the time in the world. This is the Internet. You know, when I uh, I was in my senior year at Michigan, I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew I wanted to pursue comedy on some level. I knew about Second City. I called the theater like halfway through my senior year. Like, yeah, do you guys ever audition? They're like, no, you got to do the touring company. And through that, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what about touring company? And they had an audition coming up in February. So I took the train from Ann Arbor. There was a train right to Chicago. I go to Chicago. I stay with a buddy of mine who was at the time a dramaturge at the Goodman Theater, big time Chicago theater, which is a good thing that relates to Del Close. When Del Close, the improv guru from Improv Olympic, when he died, he willed his skull to the Goodman Theater to be used in a production of, is it Hamlet? Where they have the skull? That's real? That's What you just said is real? That is a real story from what I was told. Goodness. I'm pretty sure that's true. Uh, so anyway, my friend was a dramaturge at the Goodman. I stayed with him. I go to do this improv audition. I don't know what I'm doing. And you I grabbed had, the skull out of the safe. And I took the fucking skull. I was like, no. poor Yorick. I don't know, whatever. And then they were like, this guy's great. Hired. Drop out of college. You know, I had a mismatched headshot. I took so all What did you work. really do? How did you try out? What did you do? They had you do improv games and they had you kind of talk about who, you know, and then they lined you up and had to talk about who you are a little bit. It was not too long, but I was extremely nervous. And I had like, I had a headshot that was not the same size as my resume, which was like three things at the time. And I stapled and they weren't stapled together. And some ladies like, whose is this? That's not stapled together. And I'm like, "Eh, that's mine in my head. I'm like, I'm done. Uh, I look like I'm super green. So after my audition, I'm in the lobby and I'm basically untucking my shirt and getting my duffel bag to go to the train station and someone comes out from the theater where we had just been auditioning. We don't see any of them. They're all in the dark. And it's this lady and I recognize her voice. She's like, hi, can I talk to you in my office for a minute? I'm like, sure. Trying to play it cool. But in my mind, I'm like, holy shit, who is this lady? I'm going to have to drop out of school, right? What's about to happen? Am I going to get hired? And it was this woman whose name is Joyce Sloan. She's no longer alive, but she was like legendary Chicago producer she was a producer at second city she was a big time person in just the community and theater you know she was the she was there for decades when all the greats were there and she was super encouraging to like she's like i think you're funny you need some training stay in school graduate don't break your mom's heart you know and but here's my card call me when you graduate and that sealed the deal that i was going to move to chicago i still have that card i have it framed it's up in my bedroom. Like that, that was a life-changing moment for me. And just the fact that she, you know, took that time to come pull me aside and say that. You're in Chicago doing that for a minute, two or three years. 
And I was then, in Chicago, like, yeah, four years, five years total, I think. Then what drew you to, I'm now going to move to New York and do what? I got hired for the Dana Carvey show in 1995. They were having auditions for SNL. I auditioned for that for SNL. Robert Smigel, who was a longtime writer at SNL, who was then going to be the EP of Dana Carvey, because he had such a good relationship with that, Lauren Michaels, he said, hey, can I see some of your the audition tapes? And so he really liked my SNL audition tape. And he was friends with the guy directing my Second City show at the time, a guy named Tom Giannis. Um, and told Tom, he's like, hey, tell Glazer to do the same stuff for Dana's audition. I was like, all right, cool. I didn't get hired as an actor, but they said, look, we're not going to hire you as an actor, but we really like your stuff. Would you be interested in submitting as a writer? And for that particular job, I was like, I can't say no. So I wrote up some sketches. I submitted them. They flew me out to interview me and meet me. It was like me, Smigel, Dino Stamatopoulos, who was, you know, Mr. Show and Moral Laurel, if you know those shows, and um, a guy named Mike Stoinoff. And this was right before Thanksgiving. And then the end of the year goes by. I guess I didn't get it. And then one week into the new year, they they called me and said, we want to hire you. You got to be here in a week. Wait, did you did you write the bit where he is a was he a goat breastfeeding? Was that the first episode? Is that the same? And that show? was the cold open of the first episode, which basically killed the show. It's super funny. But here's the thing. That show, uh, I did not write that. I barely got anything on. They were really like being pretty tight about who was getting stuff on because they were really wanted the best stuff. And, you know, the younger writers didn't get as much on. It was mostly like Louie and Robert and Dino um, and Dana. But that, you know, the way that show was promoted, in theory, it was in this quote unquote dream time slot. It was after Home Improvement, which at the time was the big show, and before this new Muppet show. And that's the worst place Right. for a sketch show of that subversive nature. So no one knows what the show is yet. The first thing is Dana in this like gross prosthetic with milk coming out and six to form nipples. And we That's got funny. so much hate mail. Oh, I know. From like one guy wrote, and we were reading them all like cracking up. Like it was just bizarre. But that's primetime network television, especially at that time, you know, before Mr. Show and the internet and all the cable and blah, 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 you know. So one guy writes in like, I'm a diehard Republican. I would never vote for Bill Clinton, but you did <laughs> not, you do not disrespect the president, the office of the presidency of the United States, like just all that kind of bullshit. Wow. Uh, but that was my first job. And that's, uh, that's what brought me to New York. And then you just, here's the next one. And here's the next one. And here's the next one. I moved to LA for, I, you know, after Dana Carvey got canceled, I tried to get hired in SNL. That didn't happen. Conan didn't happen. So I moved to LA with a job, which was the Keenan Ivory Wayans talk show. I'm aware of it. And uh, I lasted one writing cycle and I quit. It was just not for me. Really nice people involved overall, but just, it wasn't fun. I even tried to stick around for one more cycle just for the money and I couldn't. But one of the great things to come out of that job was meeting Vernon Chapman, do you know who he is? PFFR. I know the name, but I don't know the relevance. Do you know the show Wonder Showsen? If yes. you don't, you have to watch it. It's a brilliant show. Years and years and years ago. But PFFR. Say, say the title again. Wonder Showsen. I'll look it up. It was on MTV2. You can't watch everything. I. It's funny when people will say, uh, I'll tell you. I was talk, talking to somebody about you, and he just, either the name wasn't clicking, or he just, you know what I mean? Some people just bury the name and don't. 
oh shit, if I saw his face, oh, that's that guy. Because so everybody doesn't know everybody, and there's no offense to what you don't know or what you haven't seen or. Yeah, of course not. And PFFR, you know, they were mostly, you know, adult swim audience. Not everyone knows what they do, and their stuff is not for everybody. Right. And that's not a criticism. They're brilliant guys. And also, there's Allison Levy, there's three of them. They're brilliant people, and they're extremely smart and funny, and their stuff is incredible. When I heard about adult swim, I'm thinking, is this like Cinemax when you'd have cable and hope Cinemax would come in for about a minute? But it wasn't that. It was just they just thought of it as a clever title. Cartoon Network at night for adults to do their funny stuff. Adult Swim. Yeah. And, you know, Adult Swim was what a uh, revelatory thing that was. And, you know, it's really not what it was anymore, sadly. But, man, they had a good run of just churning out incredible shows and giving a home to all these weirdo creators that had cool ideas that weren't going to get made anywhere else we're all so extremely thankful that that place exists sure. and really more existed in its, at its time. Um, but you know, it's sad that it's not what it was, but nothing is like everything's been bought up by all these corporations. It's weird. Well, the part that always gets me is how there are now 4 billion choices. I don't know how anything, these people pay millions of dollars, big time actors, and they do this 12 episode, whatever about a such and such. And I don't even know about it. Right or you don't know, but one of us watches, the other's never heard of it. You know, it, it's, everybody's trying to grab that little piece, but I, what I was gonna try to get to is you had told the Dana Carvey story. I referenced it earlier. So you too, Dana Carvey and you, are responsible for my top five where I fell apart, where I can't stop laughing for 20 to 30 minutes. My good friend from college, he passed away, Warren Thomas, I don't know if you know the name. He opened for Dana Carvey at the Seattle Swanee's Comedy Underground. Swanee, Swanee just passed away. He was a left-handed catcher in the Yankees organization. His son Tanner is a coach with the New York Yankees. Um, and he ran this really cool comedy club where Big Shot, you know, Seinfeld, everybody played there. And I went to see Warren. He was great that night. And then here comes this Dana Carvey, which we, we knew about him, but we didn't know, you know, fully. He was just coming through. And he breaks out the chopping broccoli thing. And, like, you cannot... You just can't. And, he, and Warren told me a really cool story. He said Dana like, would be very helpful. It'd be like a mentor telling me the ropes and here's what you do. And, and one of the key lessons, because you always hear people go, oh, you don't want to repeat a joke too many times. You can only come back once or whatever. Dana was the, you know, if you have them, you hit them again and then you hit them again. And then, you know, you just destroy the audience in front of you on purpose because you own them at that point. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 personally subscribe to the, the 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 comedy theory of like you can't say it enough <laughs> even if yeah. it comes even if it becomes annoying it'll ride waves of like jesus Christ, it'll be funny and then it's like annoying and then it comes back i always well i would say usually enjoy that What's the weirdest job you took to put bread on the table? And this is no offense. I always like to preface this. Never should we ever say, oh, boy, I, I was stuck as a blah, blah, blah. You just heard Ted Cruz mocking baristas. Actually, that's a skilled job. Ted Cruz would be the worst fucking barista ever. He's a piece of fucking shit. The room would be so sullen and dark and the coffee would suck. Fuck yeah. Ted Cruz. 
you can leave uh, I'm in. trying to think. Uh, yeah, please don't edit that out. That guy's a fucking asshole. A fucking, Unusual uh, job. Let's just say that. Like something like, whoa, I actually held a job as a blank, you know? You know, there was one. It was actually the summer before I moved to Chicago. I was working this hot dog cart. In Chicago? No, in Ann Arbor. Oh, because there's a place called Wiener Circle in Chicago. Wiener Circle, sure. No, this was nothing like that. That's like a whole bit. This was just some lady that had a hot dog cart and I did it for the summer. And it was so like rinky dinky. I actually got lucky that I didn't kill myself or get seriously injured. Like it was a little one of those sterno, like those tins. And you'd light it and put in this thing and put it in the back. And that would keep the water warm. And that paid the bills. I mean, for the summer, kind of. Is that what you're talking about? Or just more yeah. like a bigger job? No. That, that was more that just qualifies. to make a little bit of money before you I went to Chicago. sold hot dogs on the streets of Ann Arbor with a thermo unit. And did people tip you? Like if they bought a $2 hot dog, would they tip you a couple of I bucks? think I had a little tip cup. I can't. It was not a lot of money. But that was just the first one that popped. It's not that unusual. But the reason I always think of that one is because I had a near... Not near death, but I could have, it could have been anything like I could have burned my mouth, my, uh, sure. my eyes where I was putting the sterno thing in and it fell out and it all this lit sterno, like hit the ground and splattered out. I mean, it was one of those like, whoa, I'm <gasps> like it was that two second delay of it hitting me. And then all of a sudden I realize I'm burning <laughs> and I'm like strip. I'm, it must have looked nuts if you just saw me. Like there's that, oh, what's his name? I think it's Brian Regan. Do you know that comic? Yeah, yeah. As, I think he had a joke about if you're if there's a bee and you're trying to get the bee, yeah. but if someone's 100 yards away from you, they just see you flailing like crazy. They don't know there's a bee there. And so that was me. I'm like ripping my clothes off because it was, I could see my shirt on fire. Like that could have gone in my mouth, <laughs> could have burned my eyes. I was very lucky, but uh time to walk away from hot dog vendor. Yeah, it was a shitty job. I was done after that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of any crazy. There's nothing that I don't know. I have nothing like that. Like I did a couple. I was I did I I was I did roofing for a summer, uh, which was pretty cool and hard. I worked at the produce terminal in downtown Detroit for a summer because my dad worked for one of the companies oh. down there, and that was pretty hard but fun. And you know, I was 14. No, I was 16 because I was driving down there every morning. Besides the parts that they might edit out, and I hope there aren't many, we're coming to the close because we respect your time so much. Um, we've already we got like 10 or 12 ideas percolating here. I I thought of this on the way, and also this is funny that you, when we, you and I have stayed in pretty good contact, not great, but, you know, one of us always reaches out about something. I usually reach out about comedy you usually reach out about sports <laughs> like wow did you see the end of the lions game that was crazy you know <laughs> i would say yeah not it, it, i don't think i've ever texted you about the lions game because that's the one detroit team i just do not give a shit about okay but you i know you, i know you're just making a point but you care about the pistons i do you care about the, the pistons the glory years fuck yeah man i i I was, yeah, I was there. I went to one of the games when they, cause they played at the Silverdome. Yeah. You know, and I was, so, so you could fit a ton of people. And I was at one of the games when they won the first championship. And then I don't know if I went to any of the games, you know, this is kind of a funny story. Maybe not like for when they beat Portland, I was working at a summer camp that summer. And we did before the kids showed up, we do all this stuff with just the staff, including a big canoe trip. So we're in the middle of the woods on our canoe trip. You know, we had canoed. We're setting up our camp. Someone's got a train. You know, this is before the internet, before cell phones, before 
tablets and shit. So we're listening to the game. And this is this is the game um, five, the deciding game. We're listening on someone's transistor radio. We had a twenty foot long aluminum foil antenna draped over someone's tent, and it's George Blaha, the legendary Pistons announcer. Sure. And we're just you know. And I hear, you know, kicks it out over to Vinny Johnson, the microwave. This is all. See, this is like long form improv right here. Everything comes around. Bring Everything it. comes around. We talked about Vinny at the top. We're bringing him back at the end. Mike so, v- so Vinny Johnson rolls up from the corner. <laughs> static, static. We're all there's like 20 of us like around this campfire, like waiting with bait. Like the fuck. <laughs> oh, my God, the champions. And we just oh, all started awesome. screaming in the middle of the woods. <laughs> It was so fun. It was such and a vi- great. If if you were to visualize that, it would be like seeing you at the camp, hearing that voice, the static, and then the balls stuck in the air. You don't know if it's going in or not going in. Yeah, I like there's that. A, there's a good scene in a short film. We're doing a lot of movies, you and I, right now. Yeah, um, I like this one a lot. And then they all get favorite? murdered. Then they all get murdered by a creature. <laughs> You've mentioned the microwave, Vinnie Johnson, many times. Was he your guy? Wasn't it Isaiah? Was I mean, Mahorn? Oh, man, I love. Here's a good story. Rick Mahorn was one of my favorite Pistons. When they left him unprotected after the first Bad Boys Championship, I was in college and I was keeping like a journal that I would fill out, that I would make entries like probably every four months. It was not a regular journal diary. But I still, I think I have this in a box somewhere. If I find this a sword, I'll take a picture and send it to you. I am a grown young man. I'm not an adult, but I'm not 10, right? I'm in college. And I actually wrote in my journal, I can't believe the Pistons, you know, left Rick Mahorn unprotected. I mean, we're the bad boys and he's the baddest. (laughs) (laughs) Those were your thoughts. And then, so here's, I have two more Rick Mahorn moments. One, and this this moment actually preceded the journal entry because it's on the Pistons. I'm in the car with my dad. We're in traffic. I'm in the passenger seat. We're at a red light. You know, I'm just like looking around like you do when you're sitting in a car. And I see the person in the car next to me. It's Rick Mahorn. And for me, I'm a kid. I'm like, and he's in the driver's seat. And you could tell he feels someone looking and he just kind of looks over. And he's like, but he did it. You could tell he was, I guess I better smile and be nice to this kid. He he clearly didn't give a shit, but he was like, yeah, hey, how's it going? And then my friend got me a Rick Mahorn cameo video for my birthday. You know that cameo thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. I got one from Rick Mahorn for my birthday. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Four years ago or something like that. Ch- prize possession, still on my phone. That's pretty solid. My son is really into basketball now, and he's pretty good. And we talk a lot of basketball. And we were talking about the just how Seattle doesn't have a team. Are they going to get a team? And I was trying to think about, and I could just Google this, but who was the 79 championship team? Like who are there? I know like Jack Sigma, Lenny Sigma Wilk- Hall of Fame. Lenny Wilkins. Lenny Wilkins was the coach. Was D- Dennis Johnson on that team? Dennis Johnson and Gus Williams started a guard off the bench, came downtown Freddie Brown. Downtown Freddie Iowa, Brown. Yeah. Number 32 in your program. Sigma. <laughs> Uh, you had Lonnie Shelton. You had uh, Wally Walker was on that team. Pretty good little small forward serviceable. Um, those were the days. And then Gus sat out a year. They ended up trading DJ for Westfall to Phoenix. The, the team just sort of fell apart over a couple of years. 
Did you watch Winning Time on HBO or HBO Plus or HBO Max or HBO Plus Southeast? <laughs> what is Winning Time? Oh, my God. Come on. You have to watch it. What is it? It's about when John C. Riley plays the new... Oh, the Lakers thing. The Lakers dynasty, beginnings of the dynasty. I loved it. I couldn't wait for 9 o'clock every Sunday. I was almost like Sopranos are on at 9. You, know? you have to watch it if you like basketball. It's dramatized. I know what was like, I know the only thing I know about it was, I mean, Jerry I know West about it. Uh, yeah. That Jerry West got all offended. Well, uh, Perlman wrote the book, Jeff Perlman wrote the book and they applied, of course it's a fictional account, right? Yeah. There's going to be stuff that probably might not, you know, Sally Field plays the mother, right. Of the new owner coming in, who's, who's a mess. They're, they're going to sign Irvin Johnson. They're going to draft him. You know, Kareem is there mid-career. Here's this brash rookie coming in. Like, all that stuff and the fact that Jerry Buss, he didn't even have what it seemed like he had, right? Like, he was hanging on by a thread to hold on to that team. And what eventuated, right, after, I mean, to think that was the beginning of this incredible Laker Showtime run. It's a good show. I liked it. Here's another thing, like, again, like, it all comes back to, like, Bring it improv things coming back blah blah like adam mckay who i think ep'd and did he even direct that series he he directed some of them but he was his name was on all of it i believe so adam mckay and i were in he, he was in my second city main stage show and he got hired at snl that year in 95 as a writer eventually became head writer and now he's and he is really one of the smartest funniest people you'll ever meet in your life and um he told me one of my favorite ideas I've ever heard was when he was at SNL, he wanted to make a, like a fake commercial. It was a C, it was like a CD, like, you know, like something like it was something like, like under the boards, greatest hits. Yeah. And it was like every track of the CD was just audio of guys battling under the boards. Oh, I like that. So it'd just be like track one, box out, box out, yeah. pick, pick right, pick right. Yeah. Damn, man. You know, just like. Yeah. Paul Not Silas even, muscling somebody. Yes. Yeah, none I'm of them in. were jokes. It was all just like, hey, man. Oh, fuck. And it just made me laugh. Why so hasn't that been made? Fucking hard. Well, not only should the parody be made, <laughs> but it should be made. Like, it, like, that would be something somebody might use as a tranquil thing to go to sleep. You know, most <laughs> people just, have ocean noises or something. But, but McKay is a big, he's a big basketball well, fan. Well, he brought me in, I don't know if he brought me in, but somebody brought me in to read for something for him. And I studied, uh, I told the story, like I think last episode, I don't give a fuck. And he proceeds to start talking about sports. He's asking about fucking Seahawks draft and Cubs middle release. I don't know what he's talking about. He's talking about a bunch of sports stuff. I think I have this thing memorized. I'm ready to go. I want to walk in and do the thing I memorized and do it my own way. And I finally just said, dude, I don't even know the first fucking word of whatever it was I was brought in. I don't care. Just do whatever you want. You know generally what we want out of the role. Go. That was pretty fun. Yeah, he's great. He's a super, yeah, he's whatever. We I've known him a long time. We keep in touch here and there now. I, I don't live out there, and he's super crazy busy. But, yeah, he's a big sports fan from what I always remember. we have, One of my favorite Chicago moments was me and him, a guy named Ali Faranakian, who was an original Upright Citizens Brigade member in Chicago. 
and uh, opened up his. Do you ever heard of this improv theater here called the Pit? The I People's Improv so. Theater. He opened up his own theater, uh, kind of on the heels of the UCB, and that became very successful here. And I, um, I don't know if it was from them or another local group out of Chicago, but we did a story the night Obama won the election in 2008. We went to Chicago, hired a couple, few actors, and the joke was that Obama's campaign intern had screwed up and scheduled the supplemental fantasy draft for that night. <laughs> so while he's giving a speech to be, you know, the first black president and the crowd there at, at, uh, at that giant Grant Park, you know, everybody's going insane. We were really there. And then we conducted a fantasy football supplemental draft. That's that was the bit. What are you working on right now? What do you want to be working on in the next two weeks after we taped this? If you had your dream come true. Well, dream come true. My friend Steve Service and I wrote, uh, we wrote something for Fox. You know, the show Alone? I know the name. I don't know the show. Well, it's an incredible show. It's a survival show like these genuine survivalists. They go out, they film it themselves. Mm -hmm. There's no camera crew. They're, they're alone. They get checked up on every week to make sure they're physically and mentally okay to put. It's really incredible. We wrote okay. like an alone style show uh and we're waiting to hear and we, if we're that's if i i hope that gets picked up it would be such a joy to make that show uh but i am going to atlanta in a couple of weeks to do uh this show i did last year a few episodes not all of them called single drunk female okay so that season two is coming up and i'll be in atlanta doing a few episodes of that in the next month go pistons go pistons man I feel good about the Pistons this year. I like their draft picks. Thanks for joining us. See you for all the projects. All right. Bye, everybody. Hey, Maine is a production of me, Kenny Maine, and Odyssey. Our senior producer is Paul Aspen. Our executive producer is Jody Avergan. And our executive producer for Odyssey is Lena Glazer. If you like our show, please rate us, leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe.